Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 181. Let's talk Apple retail. Hi, I'm Neil. It's good to be back talking with all of you after a few weeks. For some of you, it's only been a few hours since we last talked, and that's because I now daily podcast. That's not necessarily a new development. I've been doing it for a few months. I recently recorded the 100th episode of Above Avalon Daily. These are the daily updates in podcast form. That works out to about 24 hours. So it may seem like I'm going longer between podcast episodes, but in reality, I've never done more podcasting than I'm doing right now. So in a way, I'm increasing my bet on podcasting. The retail industry has had a transformational year over the past 12 months. We could say that about most industries, but I think retail really does stand out as seeing changes that very few people thought were going to happen the way that it did. We had stores pretty much across the world closing, behavior changing, people moving online, and now we see more and more stores thinking about the consumer and its connection to consumers differently. Just in the past few weeks, there have been a number of intriguing developments in the retail space. Apple and Target announced a partnership that will bring many Apple stores to 17 Targets. We could think of this as the store within a store concept. And based on the language or the tone found in the press release, it doesn't sound like it's going to stop at 17. If that goes well, we could see that number increase. Last week, Disney announced it will close 20% of its stores. I think that was a big hit for those who were envisioning or wanting Disney to rethink its retail stores, maybe embrace more of an experiences mandate or experiences goal. Reading that press release, it doesn't sound like it's going to stop at just 20% store closures. It could go higher. As a sign of just how much the pandemic impacted Apple's brick-and-mortar retail, all U.S. stores are fully open for the first time in a year. This coming May, the Apple Store celebrates its 20th anniversary. And that occasion is going to occur at a very weird time for retail, because the pandemic is causing many of us to question retail's future amid changing consumer behavior. When we take a close examination of Apple's ecosystem, I think we get to see where the company's retail operations are headed, and maybe more importantly, what changes are needed. That is going to be the focus of today's discussion. When asked to identify Apple's crown jewel, most will point to products. Many will say the iPhone or the iPad. Fewer people, but I still think a growing number of people may say wearables like Apple Watch, wireless AirPods. Apple's retail operations probably wouldn't be too high on many people's list. This is a mistake. Along with Apple's design-led culture and vertical integration strategy, the company's direct retail operations have played a vital role in its expanding ecosystem. There are a few ways that we can try to quantify Apple's retail operations. Probably the easiest is maybe to count the number of stores, which we will talk about shortly. Another way is to look at the percentage of revenue that goes through Apple's direct distribution channel. This includes Apple.com, Apple retail stores, and Apple's direct sales force. Over in this week's article at AboveAvalon.com titled The Future of Apple Retail, I have Exhibit 1, 
where I track the percentage of Apple revenue through its direct distribution channel each year going from 2013 to 2020. The numbers will probably surprise many of you. Between 2013 and 2016, the percentage of Apple revenue going through its website or its stores declined from 30% in 2013 to 25% in 2016. My theory on why this happened, I think there's a couple of factors, but one big one, people were continuing to turn to their mobile carriers to upgrade and buy iPhones. I think another factor is that fewer sales were going through some of Apple stores, again, relative to Apple's overall revenue. But something changed in 2016. The percentage of Apple revenue going through the direct distribution channel bottomed. And every year since 2016, that percentage has increased. In 2020, it hit 34%. What is going on? I think services revenue momentum is helping. I think there's a higher share of sales going to Apple.com. And I think there is more iPhone upgrading occurring through Apple. The thing is, it's difficult to gauge Apple retail's importance by just looking at revenue. The figures do not show the significant role Apple stores play in allowing people to try and test the latest products, get questions answered, and seek product support. We can turn to Apple's wearables business as a great example of this. Store closures related to the pandemic have had a negative impact on Apple Watch and AirPod sales. Both product categories are still growing, but the numbers would have been stronger if Apple retail stores were open. Here's Tim Cook explaining the situation in Apple's third quarter 20 earnings call. I think the Apple Watch in particular, like the iPhone, is more affected by store closures because some people want to try on the watch and see what it looks like, look at different band choices and those sorts of things. So I think as stores closed, it puts more pressure on that. Now's a good time to go over a little bit of the history behind the Apple retail store. Apple opened its first store in Virginia on May 19th, 2001. 20 years later, Apple now has 510 stores across 25 countries and territories. When assessing how the Apple store has changed over the years, there have been three distinct phases. The first phase I call the lifestyle experience. In the beginning, Apple stores were locations to touch and see the Apple lifestyle experience. Apple only sold a few Mac models, so the stores were designed around five core tenets or themes. There was Home and Pro, those contained Apple's products. There was then solutions, it's like music, movies, photos, things for kids. There were accessories, software, and then the Genius Bar. Another way of thinking about Apple stores during this time was that they let people see what could be done with a Mac. The next phase was what I call the new product experience. As Apple's product line gradually expanded, the Apple store turned into the best way for consumers to play with all these new products. Between 2010 and 2015, Apple's install base grew by 530 million people. The third phase is customer service, product support, education. Starting around the mid-2010s, Apple stores embraced more of that customer service, product support feel as the number of users and devices continued to shoot higher. 
between 2015 and 2020, Apple's install base grew by another 400 million people. When we circle back to the mid-2010s, we saw a lot of moving parts of Apple retail. In 2014, Angela Ahrens took over as head of Apple retail. She took over an operation that wasn't too far away from collapse. The division had been leaderless for two years. Stores were feeling major strain under Apple's ecosystem growth. Complaints of stores being too chaotic grew louder by the month. We had average store traffic declining. Things got so bad, many began to suggest Apple should drop its unique retail thinking and embrace traditional things like cash registers and queues and attempt to reduce the store craziness. Judging from reaction to her surprise Apple departure announced in early 2019, Aaron's five-year tenure at Apple was massively misunderstood. One of her not-so-publicized achievements was modernizing Apple's retail backend so that Apple's website, online store, and in-store experience weren't disconnected. A more public objective for Aaron's was managing a massive Apple Store remodeling plan overseen by Johnny Ive and Apple's design team in addition to Foster and Partners. The store redesign included Apple moving away from its smaller store footprints, embracing more open spaces centered around forums and video walls, and expanding the Genius Bar concept to handle more customers. Another goal for Aaron's was defining Apple's retail culture. By choosing Deidre O'Brien to be Arendt's successor, Apple gave a pretty clear signal that it wanted to keep employee culture and morale at the center of its near-term retail strategy. Instead of new objectives in terms of the back-end or store expansion plans, forward changes to retail operations would be more focused. Of course, the pandemic changed those plans in a very big way. When thinking about the competitive retail landscape, it's easy to say that brick-and-mortar retailers need to rethink the store concept and embrace experiences. In practice, such a strategy is incredibly difficult, and few retailers will be able to pull it off. Microsoft thought adding Xbox consoles would turn its stores into experience centers. It didn't work. The company made the right decision to get out of retail. It just took a pandemic for the company to reach that decision. Disney's recent announcement that it will close 20% of its stores is the latest sign that turning stores into experience centers may make for a good presentation, but be extremely difficult to pull off. Disney stores aren't turned into experience centers by just having some TVs play Disney Plus while you have Mickey and Minnie strolling around the store. Disney is likely coming to the realization that its customers prefer consuming Disney stories in the comfort of their own home rather than inside a store at the mall. And for those who want Disney stories outside the home, vacations to Disney theme parks are in order. We can think of Nike. That company knows its experiences are going to be found not in mall stores, but with people using their products at home, at gyms, and outdoors. Where does this leave Apple and its long-term strategy for brick-and-mortar stores? When assessing Apple's current ecosystem and where the company needs to go in the future, Apple stores need to play three vital roles. Number one, brand embassies. Number two, ecosystem support. And number three, distribution hubs. We'll go over each briefly. When it comes to brand embassies, with the Apple install base now exceeding 1 billion users, that means 87% of the world's population doesn't use any Apple products. Apple stores need to serve as that initial point of contact with the Apple brand for these 87% of people. Having control over someone's first impression of the Apple brand plays a key role in that person's likelihood of entering the ecosystem. Apple has two ways to reach the 87% of people who don't own any Apple products. 
They could go to them by opening stores in India, China, Brazil, Africa, or have them come to Apple as people visit the world's largest cities for business and pleasure. As we will discuss shortly, the latter will likely be the option Apple chooses. Upward social mobility will be a defining socioeconomic trend for decades to come. When we look at ecosystem support, given how everyone is at a different stage when it comes to involvement with the Apple ecosystem, there is a strong need for Apple stores to represent different things to different people. Roughly a third of Apple store visitors are there to buy products. A third are there to get service for those products. And a third are there to learn about the latest gadgets attend today at Apple sessions. That percentage breakdown came from errands after she left Apple. Focusing Apple stores on just one of those tasks won't work. And then there are distribution hubs. It is essential that Apple remain a realist with the way shopping habits are evolving. Convenience determines where retail is headed. Using Apple stores as distribution hubs for same-day or two-hour delivery will prove valuable. Ordering a product online from Apple's website and using an app to track the product being brought to you from the local Apple store via Courier is up there with using Uber or Lyft for the first time. Experience makes you look at retail stores differently. As mentioned a few minutes ago, there are 510 Apple stores around the world. That number hasn't exactly grown much in recent years. Exhibit 2 in this week's article tracks the number of Apple retail stores from 2010 to 2020. Instead of creating large-scale store expansion plans involving dozens of new stores, Apple has been opening a few stores in a handful of the world's top cities. In 2010, Apple had 317 stores. One year later, 2011, that jumped to 357. Go ahead to 2012, 390. Then jumped to 416 in 2013. So you can see those were pretty significant jumps. Once we get to 2016 and the 490 stores, that's where we start to hit a plateau. 2017, the store count was 499, and then increased only by 7 to 506 in 2018. And since then, the net number has pretty much stayed the same, right around 510. Apple's retail store growth strategy was driven by Aaron's bet on cities, not countries, which came from her roots in high-end fashion. When looking out over the next few years, there are a few key risks found with Apple changing course and pursuing a major expansion in its store count. The first has to do with store size. It's not practical for Apple to become like a mobile carrier and open thousands of smaller stores and shopping places throughout the U.S. or other countries. Such a store expansion strategy would amount to Apple's stores being nothing more than sales kiosks or centers. That would go against the first two roles that we just talked about that Apple stores will need to play. There is then real estate or location risk. Apple has consistently gone after the most prized and expensive real estate in up-and-coming cities. The amount of cash that Apple spends on its retail stores would make any retailer blush. The strategy isn't for the faint of heart, and nearly all retailers would stay away from the strategies and can quickly lead to financial ruin. A major store expansion phase that involves locating stores in less optimal locations can raise the endeavor's financial risk. We then have employees. Apple has approximately 70,000 retail employees. Expanding its store footprint to fit the size of its ecosystem would require multiple times the number of employees. Such an expansion employee count would present a completely different beast for Apple executives to oversee. And when it comes to management, well, with 510 stores, 
Apple is able to keep its retail footprint nimble while quickly responding to product launches and new initiatives. Trying to accomplish such feats with a store footprint that is multiple times the size will present its own unique sets of challenges when thinking about logistics. Taking all of those risks into mind, it may not make sense for Apple to grow its store count a big way from current levels. However, there are still many Apple customers that can benefit from having physical stores in which to try products and get service. For Apple, an alternative to expanding its own store account is to continue partnering with third-party retailers to sell products, service devices, and accomplish other traditional retail tasks like offering different delivery options. By relying on third-party retail partnerships, Apple can establish more points of contact with customers and not worry about the long list of risks and problems found with operating its own stores. This is why Apple's recent announcement of partnering with Target to open mini Apple stores in 17 locations is noteworthy. That stands to be a pretty major development. Some may worry that Apple's going down the wrong path here with these partnerships. Apple's initial move into retail 20 years ago was driven by shortcomings found with needing to go through others to reach customers. Wouldn't similar shortcomings develop by going through third-party retailers today to reach customers? There is one big difference between the retail landscape of the 1990s and that of today. Apple now has the most powerful device ecosystem in the world. Apple no longer needs to fear having their products get lost in a sea of beige at an electronics store. Retail store employees are no longer incentivized to convince people to buy competing products. Instead, some of the world's largest retailers are now placing big bets on Apple hoping some of the company's brand power will rub off on their own operations and financials. This brings us to some closing remarks. The bets Apple ended up placing with its retail stores didn't end up having to do with selling iPhones and wearables or hosting educational classes. Instead, Apple stores are bets on three big themes. Cities, people, experiences. Apple is betting that we will want to visit and live in the world's top cities. This explains the store growth strategy being focused on cities, not countries. Apple is betting that Apple Store employees will remain the best ambassadors of the brand, introducing Apple to billions of new people. Having O'Brien, who also oversees Apple's people team, be in charge of retail is an outward recognition of the key role given to Apple retail employees. And Apple's betting that humans will continue to seek out premium experiences. The Apple Store of the future doesn't have a specific layout or look. Instead, it ends up being an idea. Evolution. We know retail isn't going to remain static going forward. The way we buy products will continue to change as technology becomes closely intertwined with commerce. Apple's retail apparatus, both online and brick and mortar, will only remain relevant in the future if it is built and designed to embrace change. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and you want more of it throughout the week, check out Above Avalon Membership. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. These updates are emails. Each one's about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. They're sent Monday through Thursday. As I talked about in the beginning of the episode, these updates are also available in podcast form if you prefer to consume analysis and perspective that way. 
If it is of interest to Apple, it is something that I pay attention to in these daily updates. Topics will include Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on all of the current news, Apple's various competitors, and all of the industries that Apple plays in and is thinking about playing in. And I also go over all of my Apple financial estimates, and there's full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. My goal with these updates is to offer the most comprehensive and accurate view of how Apple thinks about the world. If you enjoy this podcast and the articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which are accessible to everyone, I know you'll find a lot of value in accessing my exclusive daily updates about Apple. To become a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Once you become a member, you do have the option of accessing the archives. You can go back and read previously sent updates. There's a member form, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. You will also be able to access my working Apple earnings model. So this is an Excel file. It also works in numbers. You can go in and change different estimates, see what I'm expecting for all of Apple's different product categories. And members also can access Above Avalon reports. So you get a lot with membership. These reports go deep into specific Apple topics such as Apple buyback, Apple dividends, Apple product strategy. All of that is included with Above Avalon membership. If you're interested in receiving the Above Avalon daily podcast, that is an add-on that you can attach to a membership. That add-on is $10 per month or $100 per year. With a diverse member list that includes Silicon Valley and Fortune 500 executives, the largest investors on Wall Street, hobbyists, and students, I'm proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by its members. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.